a, a Giants podcast for Giants fans. By Giants fans. It's Sean Morash and Paul Dotino. Down the sideline, into the end zone. From the offseason, through the wins and the losses, it's time to take one, one, one giant, giant step, step. Let's freaking go! It's one giant step, it's playoff week, it's wild card weekend week. Oh man, I thought I may never see this again in my lifetime. It's been a long, long time and nobody has gotten on a boat so far this week. It's Sean Morris, it's Paul DeTito, it's Giants, Vikings, wild card week. Paul, hello, happy wild card week to you. Uh, this is awesome, man. I'm so pumped up. We're, you know, we're taping this, what, four days, three days? I, who cares how many days? Let's get there. Yeah, I'm with you, Sean. Good morning. And, you know, I don't think anybody behind the scenes, when they put this thing together, expected us go to week 19. <laughs> in fact, in fact, Paul, I would argue that one giant step is so many of you have, have, you know, grown and listened and joined on along the season. I can guarantee you that if the bosses above our head knew that the New York Giants would be playing on Wild Card Weekend, this podcast that would exist with me and you would not exist. They Probably were in love not. with the idea of the Giants sucking and therefore putting me and you together to yell at each other. But instead, yes. instead, you and I basically are going to be on each other's Christmas card list next year. <laughs> we're basically Dable's Little Elves, and it's worked out that way. So it's great. Very, very good. Hey, I, you know, it, it's funny. The other day I was, I was talking to somebody about, you know, the Vikings and Giants meeting in the playoffs again. And you obviously remember the last time that they played in 2000 when the Giants wiped them out 41-0. And the one thing I will say, and it's the only thread that even attaches this game to that game, is that, as you recall, that Vikings offense was incredibly potent. Yeah. And most people thought that, you know, the Giants would have a very difficult time with them, and the Giants shut them out. And it was after the game that Jesse Armstead came up to the podium and took out a piece of paper that he had hidden under the base uh, of the stanchion. And he held it up, and it said zero. He had predicted before the game that the Giants would shut out the powerful Minnesota Vikings, and in fact, that's what they did. Incredible. And in many ways, Paul, by the way, I rewatched that game two days ago. I mean, Ike Hilliard was so good in that game. Oh, yeah. And people oh, forget, yeah. that game's 41 nothing. The Giants basically did nothing offensively in the second half. That is an entire they didn't first have half. to. Yeah, the fumbled kickoff, all of that. But and it's Kelly funny. Collins was phenomenal oh, that day. Great. One of the greatest playoff games a quarterback's ever had. And the bruise on Greg Camella's ass after hitting the hard turf that day. <laughs> uh, the field of painted mud stuff with Wellington Mara. Uh, and look, not everything was always rosy with Giants-Vikings. Remember Randall Cunningham, the Giant team, fighting uh, versus the Randall Cunningham Vikings in 97. The Chris Calloway, obviously, muffed kick, which, by the way... Ah, uh, the Jake Reed touchdown where one foot was out of bounds, but yeah. there was no replay. Paul, but you got to understand, so somebody like me, I'm born in 1987. So the 1997 Giants, for me, are really my first true taste of, you know, at that time, you know, as you approach, you know, late elementary school, or early junior high, you fall in sure. love with the game, right? Like, I had always been watching games with my dad, but I started to really understand the game. That team, when they go on that run, like, that was everything for me. That was where I fell in love with the Giants, was the 97 Giants. So watching them crumble like that uh, was my first scar, my first deep cut as a Giant fan. And then three years later, I'm in, like, eighth grade when they win, <laughs> they beat the Vikings. And that's my favorite team of all time. In fact, I have two daughters. One is named Taylor. 
obvious reasons, Lawrence Taylor. The other is named Peyton, spelled P-A-Y-T-O-N. Why? The 2000 Giants are my favorite offense of all time. I loved Kerry Collins. I was the only kid that year uh, asking basically for Christmas for a Kerry Collins jersey. So I have Peyton and Taylor, thanks to my Giant fandom growing up, and Sean Peyton was every bit a part of that. So Giants-Vikings, we've seen it before. Uh, the only difference here, we're going to be going on the road to Minnesota in a obviously a new stadium, a stadium, despite what Adam Gates says, I think will be very loud, but one that I think is going to be a lot of fun. And Paul, not to keep rambling on, but you mentioned the 2000 potent offense. Clearly, it's a different game from 22 years ago, but kind of a similar sense and a similar feel around this game, right? A Giants offense that has struggled at times this year, but has shown you the capabilities and a quarterback that now we're believing in, uh, Kerry Collins, a stud running back, Tiki Barber, Saquon Barkley. And how does a defense figure out how to cover Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, Dalvin Cook, similar to what we felt with that Viking team? I know they're much different teams, and you believed in the Vikings then more than now. Right. But right. still, matchup-wise, a lot of the same feels. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, you have to remember something, too. Uh, that Minnesota team was a dome team, just like this one is. Yes. And and it was primarily, you know, geared, even though they both had good running backs. Robert Smith uh, was, was the running back in those days for the Vikes. But it was really all about ripping the ball around to the various targets, trying to... I don't know if they were trying to really simulate the former Kurt Warner Rams or the greatest show on turf, but it certainly looked like they were trying to make some kind of facsimile uh, with their particular offense. And to some degree, really, that's that's what the Vikings are right now, except they got Swiss cheese of an offensive line. Yeah, totally. And I guess we will we will lead there talking about the injuries, Paul, because we really got to get in the weeds on this game a little bit. Um I've talked to, you know, the people I have out in Minnesota a little bit, and obviously that big deal has been made about the Giants getting healthy at the right time, and maybe the Vikings now not being healthy at the right time, which in comparison to what we saw a couple of weeks ago on Christmas Eve makes a big difference. We are taping this as we always do on a Thursday morning, so we don't have clearly final injury reports. It should be noted that Bradbury, the center from Minnesota, was practicing on a limited basis on Wednesday, and there is now more optimism than there had been on Monday or Tuesday. But even so, as we know, Paul, the right tackle situation is still going to be a disaster, but as we know, it's the playoffs, right? So games where guys would sit out in the regular season now are more likely going to play. It doesn't mean they're going to necessarily be as effective as they would be if they're playing through some injuries just to try to gut this out because it's postseason's on. Well, you got to remember something, Sean. Even if he does play, and you can make an argument for the Vikings, they need to figure out, are they better off with Chris Reed, the converted guard, and third-string center, who's only had one start there? Are they better off with him there, or are they better off with Bradbury, who is going to be rusty, who's coming off a back injury that clearly hampered him and sidelined him for a number of weeks? I... If I'm the Vikings, I'm not feeling real good about either one of those guys right now. Yeah, I I completely agree. And with that, Paul, I think this is very important to note. The Vikings have a negative three-point differential. A lot of people have pointed to that. And I think you could make the argument two ways for Minnesota. You could either say they've been in so many close games, 6-0 in one-score games, that including that big comeback against the Colts, that maybe they're tighter as a group and maybe they're more battle-tested and they won't flinch in a tight game late. Or you can make the case, well, they've had a lot of lucky breaks and balls that bounce their way, and that's why they're in this position. But, hey, the Giants are no strangers to that either. I think ultimately when talking about the offensive line, 
that is where this game is going to be won for me. It's going to be, we can have all the conversations we want about Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. The Giants have now built a defensive front. And the way you build it with those two edge rushers and Ojalari and Thibodeau and the two guys in the middle with Williams and Lawrence and obviously throwing Jihad Ward and everything else that goes with it. But when you build a line like that, it is how San Francisco has made runs to the Super Bowl and won playoff games. You get after the quarterback and you create turnovers. This is very important to note. The Vikings have lost four games in blowout fashion. The Eagle Monday night game, the Cowboy game, the Lions game, and the Packer game a couple weeks ago. Combined, combined in those games, they completely lost the turnover battle. In fact, Minnesota only forced one combined turnover in those four games. From a defensive side, they forced almost two a game other than that, and that is how they've won the close games to turnovers. And that was the difference in the Christmas Eve game, right? The Bellinger fumble, the Jones pick, those the, the block punt. Those mistakes and those turnovers, that is how Minnesota's capitalized. They actually get blown out if they can't force turnovers. That's been the case this year. So the Giants, using their defensive front, they need to be the ones forcing the turnovers and make sure that turnover battle is tilted here, Paul. Well, let's take a look at something very interesting. Uh, And there's a common thread. We talked about it before the Giants-Vikings game last month. Against Philadelphia, they scored seven points. Against Washington, they scored 20. Against Dallas, they scored three. And then against the Giants, they scored 27. But again, they had one very short field courtesy of a block punt, which they converted into a touchdown. They also needed a phenomenal Hawkinson catch where he high-pointed a ball against two defensive backs to make a spectacular grab that I'd say he probably could only make five out of ten times if you threw it to him. So, and that's not because it's a knock on him. It's just because it was that incredible of a grab. Right, right, right. So what is the common denominator between those four games? And I'm not talking about it's four teams in the NFC East. I'm talking about it's four defenses that have a very formidable pass rush with a very difficult defensive line to deal with. That's what you need to do to make the Minnesota Vikings offense incredibly pedestrian. Okay? So that's the first point that has to be brought up. Bill Parcells taught me many, many years ago about the key elements as you're diagramming the paths to victory and you get into these games of either playoff games or against, you know, top teams. Maybe they're they're battling in December and it's not even a playoff game. But there are three things that you always have to look for. And these are your core things. And this is where it starts. And of course, there were many things Bill taught me, but these are these are kind of important. Number one, obviously, who's going to win the trenches? We both know the Giants have the edge in the trenches, and especially with the injuries that Minnesota's got on the O-line and the Giants being healthy now up front. And even if you flip it onto the other side, the Vikings probably have a little bit of an edge, little bit. Daniel Hunter did a really good job against Evan Neal in the last game. Of course, Evan was also fighting a sprained knee at the time, and I wonder how much better he might be now at this point. Struggled a little bit last week against Philly as well, but I do think that the rest of the defensive line against the Giants' offensive line, not much of an advantage for Minnesota. But when you flip it, the Giants have a huge advantage over the Vikings. So I'll say trenches, checkmark goes to the Giants. Number two, propensity for turnovers. Kirk Cousins, 
14 interceptions thrown this year, tied for third in the National Football League. Daniel Jones taking care of the ball all year, lowest in lowest interception percentage in the NFL. Right. Who gets the check? Giants get Bingo. the check. That's two out of two. Let's go to number three. They say defenses win championships. Overall defensively, not just talking about the trenches, but the overall defense. Who has the better overall defense? Well, let's see. The Vikings defense is ranked number 31 in the league. So for them to get that check mark, the Giants would have to be 32. And guess what? They're not 32. So the Giants get that check mark too. Three important check marks that are the core of winning this type of football game all go to the Giants side of the ledger. So you tell me who's going to win this game, Sean. Exactly. And now, Paul, and this will pivot us towards the Giant injury situation. There might be new listeners listening to this podcast who are trying to maybe get a little edge, get a feel for what we're talking about in Giants world that haven't followed this team as closely as we have and our diehard listeners and our fans have. I don't think that this point can be made enough, okay? It is simply lazy to look at the Giant-Viking game and say, well, you know, Giants made these mistakes. Joseph kicks the field goal. How could Giant fans be so confident? They still did lose the game. Who's to say they're not going to have the turnovers? The, the Giants are such a different football team, and we saw it earlier in the year, on the defensive end when Xavier McKinney and Dory Jackson are both on the field, okay? They right. just are, okay? We saw them give the Ravens fits, uh, the Packers fits. Losing those two guys around similar timelines after the bye was a killer. We got McKinney back versus the Colts. He shook off some rust. I know McKinney really let it slip that Adoree's playing, and Brian Dable's really trying to reserve back and play coy, and I understand it's all gamesmanship. I fully expect both of those guys to be out there, Paul. And so do I. And while we've seen enormous strides, Cordell Flott last game, and I heard Wink Martindale on the uh, the special on, on Wednesday night speak highly of Cordell Flott. Uh, we know, obviously, McLeod and Fabian Moreau. These guys have done admirable jobs. Julian Love's done a terrific job. It's just a game changer of a defense to have those two guys. The, the, the Giants' two most elite players they have in the secondary did not play versus this Viking team and Justin Jefferson and Hawkinson. To have those guys back in this game, I'm sorry, and not that it, it means that Justin Jefferson's not going to have his moments or Hawkins not going to have his moments, but ultimately, it is a completely different football game with those guys. Sean, it's very hard for me to imagine when you add those two very highly skilled guys into the secondary that Hawkinson and Jefferson will both have 100-plus yards receiving in this game. It's hard for me to believe that. And, and they did that last time. Hard for me to believe. I mean, Hawkinson, uh, you know, career high, 13 receptions in that game. I just don't see that happening this time around. Now, I will also add, even though they played only a little bit in that first half, Leonard Williams and Aziz Ojolari, yes. who came out early in that game, and in my opinion, very, very big factor in the second half of that game, why the Giants were not able to actually put that game away. Because those two guys were unavailable. Uh, you had the burner with Leonard, and yeah. you had Aziz with the uh, the ankle again. So I'm telling you right now, those two guys, yeah, they're listed as limited. But as we discussed, they're ready to go. And they didn't play last week. In effect, they got the bye week, well, the second bye week, which is why they never should have played. Yeah, Great move by Dable, keeping those guys out. So yeah. in reality – 
in reality, you got two new guys in the secondary for, for the Vikings to deal with. And now you may have four full quarters of Aziz Ojolari and Leonard Williams to deal with. Good luck with that. So I've gone back now and, ha- of course, because I'm hyping myself up all week, whether it's rewatching certain games, certain highlight clips of the year. I've done a lot of this over the last couple of days, Paul. And I'm curious to get your sense. And, again, we're taping this on Thursday. She still have a couple more days to be around the team with this. But you're right. They basically shut down everybody. And one guy noticeably to me, whether it's week one versus the Titans or then off of the bye versus the Texans, when I'm considering where you would be your freshest, Saquon Barkley was incredible in both of those games. And Saquon Barkley did not play last week. So I think that's an enormous key for this giant team to have fresh legs of Saquon Barkley. Tell me, Paul, not just off of him, because obviously I think he's going to be really important in this game, but the team as a whole, do you get the sense after seeing this team on Wednesday that that essential week off of you know on-field hits is going to pay big dividends for this team? Absolutely, 100%, Sean. You know, they, they first practiced this week yesterday. and you could sense a not only a physical relief on a lot of guys who said they really could have used it. I told you this before last week's game. You had a bunch of guys who were really sore and aching, and their gas tank was running very, very low. Right. Not only not only physically did guys express how much they appreciated that time, but psychologically and mentally to give them that chance to reboot, so to speak as all these starters who knew they weren't going to play against Philly, they became even more laser-focused as they rebooted on the Vikings, a team that they had just seen only now three weeks earlier. I I can't even begin to tell you how much of a benefit this could pay or dividends this could pay for the Giants on Sunday. I fully expect them to play their A game. And if they do... That means all those sloppy mistakes that we talked about as to why they lost that previous game in Minnesota will go away. And I think we'll we'll definitely pay the difference or make the difference in this one. Okay, we're gonna get to our picks and our fantasy reality stuff, but I wanna I wanna play two quick gamey kind of things for you. I didn't even tell our producer Adam about that I thought of. Okay, Paul. Look, we've had a couple bad years of Giants football, clearly. We both love this team with all our heart. I think that this one giant step is a chance to be a little bit of a therapist chair for a second, okay? We are both very positive, and you, we want to release the negative thoughts out into the space and get them out of our heads, okay? I want to play a game called Worst Fear, all right? Worst Fear is this. The Giants, everything that we think is going to happen doesn't happen in this game. And I want to play our worst. What is your worst fear on why this takes place? Or you could envision this happening and, oh, no, everything we thought of blows up. And let's take injuries out of that because that's kind of morbid. Yeah, well, I was actually going to say that right away because DRC got hurt in that Packer playoff game in 16. Yeah. And then Rodgers immediately went after Wade and Sensiball, and that was the end of it because those were the two guys who split the reps in his spot, and that was the game. Okay. DRC doesn't get hurt in that game. I'm not so sure the Packers roll like they do. Yeah, I agree. So, so to be frank with you, yeah, if Thibodeau or Ojolari or Jackson or any of these guys goes down, all of a sudden it, it starts to even up the playing field a little bit because I just think the Giants have such an edge on defense. So if you want to give me 
If you want to give me my worst fear to uh, to un- unleash here, I would probably say special teams. Giants have been inconsistent on special teams all season long, giving up field position on big returns. The Vikings can certainly do that. And then yeah. they added the block punt, which, you know, set them up for a touchdown a few weeks ago. So I I think that would be a fear. Do, yeah. do the do the Giants somehow get slaughtered in the special teams battle, which in all honesty, it still is a third of the game. Yeah. And and it it can decide the ultimate winner. Yeah, it shouldn't shock anybody if you're new to one giant step. Paul and I like to fancy ourselves the special teams of Giants podcast because we always will make sure we mention them. And he's right. That is a worse fear. A special teams miscue or dare I say miscues could totally tilt the game. Here's the worst fear when I put my head on the pillow the last three nights for me, Paul. Okay, the Giants did such a good job incorporating Saquon Barkley into the passing game versus Minnesota. Clearly, this is going to be a chess match of watching tape and adjustments. My worst fear in a game that potentially could be a one possession one way or another, the guy we've entrusted to not turn the ball over, Daniel Jones, throws some kind of pick six on the defense just sitting on and anticipating one of these swing passes. Paul, some of these swing passes, I would say, might be Jones's biggest weakness as a thrower. Some of them have floated out there, and I, I've held my breath at times seeing some of that, and I could see them in a quick, hey, get it out to Saquon, let him make a play in space, and they're just sitting on it, and somebody takes it the other way, and we look back going, oh, my goodness, that ended up being the difference in a one-possession game. Uh, that would produce a lot of agita. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I could I, I could see I could see you being upset about that. I I have more confidence that Jones won't do that, but I could definitely see that being a very, very important key because I don't think the Vikings offense can outscore the Giants offense in this game. I just don't. Giants had almost 450 yards of offense last time, and they easily if Richie James had held on to two fourth quarter first down completions that he dropped. And Bellinger uh, had had a fumble. Giants could have rolled up 500 yards of offense, Sean. Think yeah. about that. They yeah. could have rolled up 500 yards of offense and over 30 points. Incredible. And, you know, so I don't think Minnesota's offense will outscore them. So if you give the Minnesota defense a chance to score points, that would be incredibly detrimental. Okay, and now let's play. We've gone from worst fear. I want to play the game Reason Why, all right? We entered the year with two names specifically that we thought, hmm, is one going to be back? Are neither going to be back? Oh, is this going to be just a year to punt? And that is Saquon and Daniel Jones, okay? We as Giant fans now love, obviously, both of them. This year has been incredible. The Giants and Vikings, the last game was a lot of Saquon and a lot of Daniel Jones. We already talked about everything they need to do defensively from the offensive side of the ball. And you've talked about how much you think the Giants can do offensively. The reason why on offense the Giants will win this game, is it Daniel Jones or is it Saquon Barkley? Oh, it's got to be Daniel Jones because he's got to make all the proper decisions. You know, Sean, as much as Barkley is, is the crux of what this offense wants to do, Daniel Jones is the guy who's got to make the calls up at the line. He's got to make the adjustments with with the protections. He's got to make the run-pass options work. He's got to make potentially the RPOs work. Now, remember something. Daniel Jones did not run a cold rush for himself in the last Minnesota game. The only running plays he had were on scrambles to get away from the pass rush. 
The Giants did not call a Jones running play the entire day. Right. Right. Okay? Huge. Yeah. So think about that for just a minute because it's been a big weapon for them. So, so to me, you know, Daniel has to be incredibly sharp, and he has been all year. Right. His decision-making really needs to be on point. And I would say that's got to be the crux of the matter for me, even over Barkley's ability to do what he does. Yeah, it's going to be tough to argue either point. I was going to go Saquon just because ultimately, man, it's still going to come down to the amount of touches. Saquon Barkley, now Jones touches the ball every play, but he's going to touch the ball more than any of these other weapons, and even if it's through the pass game. Uh, and I think off of a week off now, because we've seen Saquon off those week offs, they're going to need like a, a 50, 60, something like a big, big play out of Barkley where he just breaks the will of the Vikings, I think. Sure. And that is what's going to put them over the top. And I, and I think Barkley's going to have a moment like that in this game. You know, Sean, the Vikings play such a heavy zone defense. And in that game, when they took the lead on the Giants and they were giving the Giants some trouble defensively in the first half before the Giants came back, they blitzed. I think it was their season-high blitz percentage in that game against the Giants because they know that Jones tears zones to shreds. Right. And so they did change things up a bit, and they were sending DBs. You know, Patrick Peterson had that one sack coming off the edge, you remember. Um, yes. You know, they, they did try to mix it up, and they went a little bit against their character. And early in the game, it did catch the Giants off guard, and they did have some protection issues. Now, they were able to clean that up later on in the game and took care of it as they made their adjustments. But it, it will be interesting because that's the other reason why I'm picking Daniel Jones here, because you, you don't know exactly how the Vikings are going to play it. Will they play it more like they did against the Giants last time with more blitzing, which is against their character, or play it like they did most of the season, which in all honesty plays into Jones's hands anyway. So Daniel, Daniel really has to be on, on par no matter what kind of Vikings defense they throw at him. I, I love that thought, Paul. And Paul, as we do every podcast before a game, we're going to give our official game pick, game score prediction, Play the game fantasy versus reality. Give us a, a fantasy play. Obviously, league-wide fantasy is over, but you still can play your props and all that other stuff. Uh, a guy maybe you find in the end zone, a big chunk call. You know, that's the way we're doing it here, and I'm just doing this for any of our new listeners here for playoff week to explain how this works. Paul, start it off. Score prediction. Give me kind of a fantasy play here. All right. My score is Giants 34, Vikings 24. I think okay. the game will be, will be close going into the fourth quarter. Giants may be up by three. And then at some point in the middle of the fourth, Jones takes him on a touchdown drive that makes it a 10-point difference, and you don't have to worry about the agita from a last-second field goal. Uh, oh. In terms of a fantasy play, I'm simply going with the Giants' defense. The Vikings have allowed seven sacks twice this year, okay? They've allowed at least three sacks seven times. I say the Giants get six sacks. I say they get two takeaways. Yeah. And I think in daily fantasy, that will give you a lot of points. Oh, it will. Oh, it will. And, you know, a Giants defensive anytime touchdown score, that kind of deal as a unit, that's something to look at if you're looking at any daily picks. I love that, Paul. Paul, we're, we're similar in score ideas. So I went back and forth in this. I started the week, and maybe this is just me pumping up and getting all pumped up thinking, boy, I really could see the shoe on the other foot, and it's Graham Gano that burns the Vikings late. However... 
the more I think about the Giants' defense in this game and getting these guys back, I think they're going to put a thumping on Kirk Cousins, and I think he's going to turn the ball over. And I think a major storyline nationally Monday morning is going to be the trust level of Kirk Cousins as he, as he kind of melts down. I'm not worried about Daniel Jones in this game. I gave you kind of my worst fear, but I don't think he's going to totally throw up all over himself. I think the Giants are going to get into the 30s, too. I think they felt something in that Colt game. This Viking defense stinks. Uh, I think the Giants are going to win this game 31-20. to 20, And I think, yeah, there'll be moments third quarter where things are dicey, but they pull away in the fourth quarter and it becomes a big party for us Giants fans where the team, let's face it, I think we will also hear a lot of Monday morning, wow, is this Giant team peaking at the right time? You will hear a lot of that. I think the Giants are going to win this game. I really do. It's not just me being a homer. 31-20 is my pick. Now, fantasy play? I love your defensive thought. And obviously, you're never going to go wrong with the way the Giants use Saquon Barkley. I think you get the big Richie James game. I mean, he had the big drop versus Minnesota, but he has been so good on these third downs as a slot receiver. As Giant fans, it feels like we will never forgive him for the fumbled punts and the botched punts versus the Seahawks. But ultimately, he's been a really safe, good outlet for Daniel Jones out of the slot, his catch rate, all the third down stuff. I think Richie James probably finds his way into some kind of short touchdown pass. He's a guy who's going to move the chains. And it would not shock me in the least if Richie James has a game where, you know, it's it's 50 to 60 yards, but they're good clutch yards and a touchdown in this game. I think you get a big Richie James game here, Paul. Yeah, that would certainly be very fruitful, no question. I do want to throw one other matchup that we didn't talk about earlier when we were discussing the Vikings offensive line. It looks like that Ole Udo, is going to be the starting right tackle in this game. And there's a stat that's incredibly important that I just wanted to get out there for our viewers. Uh, last year, when he was the tackle, uh, he gave up, or should I say was called, for 16 penalties, which tied for the second most penalties by any individual player in the National Football League. And 12 of them were for holding. He'll be operating against Aziz Ojolari in this game. <laughs> I just thought that people would want to know that. That's good. I'll give you one more stat before on the way out the door, Paul. The last four years of the NFL playoffs, AFC and NFC, six seeds have played eight games, obviously six versus three in these games. Or six versus four, depending on the old school matchup. Six seeds are right. seven and one in wild card weekend games in the last four years. Seven and one. This year succeeds our New York Giants and the Baltimore Ravens. You could use that on the pregame show, Paul. Our New York Giants and the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, the Ravens are playing a backup quarterback versus the Bengals this year. So if you're a law of averages guy and you say, wow, six <laughs> seeds, six <laughs> seeds have been that good the last four years? Well, one six seed is certainly going to win this year if that trend's going to continue Hey, don't feel like it's going to be the Ravens this week with a backup quarterback, Paul. Rub your hands together to the odds and say, law probability says six seed advances every year, if not multiple ones. Giants oh, are that no. bet this week. That, that That's great information, Sean, because the last several years, I haven't been dabbling in any kind of playoff permutations. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Six seed, seven and one the last four years. That's a good oh. stat. All right, Paul, we still got another couple of days of practice here on the flight to Minnesota. Where can everybody get you on Twitter? At Giants WFAN. And you can follow me at Miraz CBS. I will be on before Paul on the pregame show from noon to about 2.15 p.m. Eastern on WFAN out of New York free on the Odyssey app. Then, of course, you can catch Paul and everybody on the pregame show right after me from 2.15 right, right up until kickoff. And I'll go one further. 
Bob Papa does a great job on WFAN of announcing when you can sync your TV. Have that TV paused and keep the radio feed. And Paul, catch him on the post-game show too. So if you're a fan of One Giant Step, if you're a friend of our two, a fan of our two ugly faces talking to you every week, free on YouTube, free on the Odyssey app, just know starting noon to basically 9, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, you can get a taste of me and Paul wall-to-wall in some way, shape, or form on the Giants and Vikings. And we will be back with Make you on sure Monday. Make sure you have a pop. bottle of aspirin ready. Yes, yes, yes. It'll be a fun Sunday, a Sunday that has been too long in the making. Everybody, thanks to our producer, Adam. Enjoy the heck out of this weekend. We know what it feels like not to have it. It's good to have it back. Thank you for taking one giant step with us.